Hey, music teacher friends! Thank you for joining me for episode number 99 of the Beyond Measure podcast. 99, you guys! Now, you're good at math. You know what that means is coming next week. Oh, I'm so excited. Anyway, welcome to episode number 99. My name is Christina Whitlock. And I hang out here in your favorite podcasting app every week, ready to hang out with you and remind you that there are, indeed, other real-life people who experience the same things you do. (laughs) I call myself your anytime piano teacher friend, APTF for short, and I am delighted to hang out with you today. Okay. We have been going pretty deep and soul-searchy the last few weeks. (laughs) Soul-searchy? That's not really a word. But I wanted to hit more of a practical topic today. And that means that I am dipping into something I have been talking about a lot in my pedagogy course lately. Um, And that is the different roles of experience and correction within the lesson. It really boils down to this, friends. I do not want our students to perceive music as a thing to be constantly corrected. Give me a second while I put on my professor hat, will you? If you don't know, I teach a piano pedagogy course cycle at Taylor University, and I am currently teaching the second semester pedagogy class, which is focused on teaching intermediate students. So I have a great group of young teachers in this course with me, and they genuinely make me so happy to watch them grow as educators. Well, Lately, they have been tasked with giving these peer teaching demonstrations where they take turns introducing standard pieces from the intermediate repertoire to one another. If you were to know anything about my approach to teaching, you should probably know that I place a great deal of importance on how we introduce a piece to a student. I think that we hold great influence over how our students feel about their pieces. And the single most important thing that we can do at any level of study is to introduce pieces in a way that is going to excite our students and set them up for success. Come to think of it, I suppose that's a separate episode I need to write, (laughs) but coming back to today's episode, one recurring concern that I have had in my class lately is the fact that my students, surely in an attempt to show me how much they know, they tend to approach the introduction of their pieces with kind of a corrective mindset, as in... You know, like, before we get started, let me show you all of the potential pitfalls and challenges of this piece. (laughs) That's what I mean by a corrective mindset. Now, to the contrary, I have been hammering home the importance of what I'm going to call an experiential mindset, an approach to teaching that is built on experience. Basically, whether it's students in my university course or studio teachers that I consult with one-on-one, 
I often see teachers introduce new pieces kind of like they are puzzles to be solved. They walk their students through all the potential errors involved, like tricky rhythms, unexpected harmonies, passages with fingering dilemmas. I mean, all of which are incredibly important to the success of the piece, but none of which are going to likely inspire a student to see that end goal as being worth it. Am I right? As I find myself offering up frequent suggestions in this area these days, it's dawning on me how easy it is as a teacher to jump straight to corrections, bypassing all musical inspiration and interpretive considerations. I'm going to say it one more time. We do not want our students to perceive music as a thing to be constantly corrected. At least, I sure don't. Before you come for me, of course, I realize that corrections are a very important part of our job. But so is introducing our students to the beauty found in the repertoire for our instrument and the satisfaction that comes from expressing yourself through our art form. But one thing is for sure, I don't. And I mean, I don't want my students to feel like playing music is a constant evaluation of successes and failures. I mean, there's so much more to it, right? You know it. (laughs) I can say without a doubt that I did grow up in a world where I felt like I was constantly chasing the highest levels of mastery, and I really struggled to find satisfaction in my work. And I do not want my students to secretly feel the same way. So the goal of music study, in my eyes anyway, especially at the pre-college level, is to offer an experience-based lesson rather than a corrections-based lesson. Let's think about how this could work in a real lesson setting. Let's say I was going to introduce a student to, oh, let's go with the first movement of the Moonlight Sonata. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of something that we all know. We'll pretend that this student has no idea what this piece even sounds like, which, of course, is very unlikely, but go with me on this, okay? A well-educated teacher might start out by showing the student the score and helping them identify the key of C-sharp minor. They might talk about the meter, the different divisions of the beat found in the piece. They might have their students play scales and arpeggios and cadences in the key of C-sharp minor just to help them get the lay of the land. They might have their students block those right-hand chords for the first few measures of the piece. They might look at the left-hand octaves and notice how they descend down the piano. They might talk about how to play octaves in a healthy way without tension. They might have the right hand block the chords while the left hand played those octaves. These are all practice strategies that are very beneficial to employ while a student is learning this piece. All of those things hold great value. But are any of those things going to help endear a student to their piece or motivate them to put the necessary effort into learning it? I doubt it. 
Instead, when introducing a student to a new piece of repertoire, the first place to start is to let them experience the piece. Now, with something as engaging as the first movement of the Moonlight Sonata, you would be missing such an opportunity if you neglected to pull your student into the tension and mystery of the piece by letting them experience it first. So instead of diving immediately into the key of C-sharp minor and the rhythmic challenges involved and all of those things, let's say instead... I started by playing the first, I don't know, 16 bars of the piece for the student. What if I asked them what the music made them think about or imagine or feel? What if I showed them where the unicorda pedal was used and I asked them to close their eyes and tell me if they could hear a difference when I used it and when I didn't? What if I played a few phrases at different tempos and asked the student which one they preferred? Spending time exploring these kinds of ideas with your student will teach you so much about what your student enjoys and how they perceive music. That is incredibly valuable information for you to have, my teacher friends. (laughs) It will also show them options for interpretations and things they should be listening for in a performance. And... Even more importantly, it's going to show them that their opinion on music is valid and welcome in your studio. And that is so encouraging to a student. Again, it's highly unlikely that a student is going to come to their piano lesson having never heard Moonlight Sonata. (laughs) I realize this. But Think about how you introduce other pieces that a student has not experienced before. Do you immediately go into a mode of, like, let's find the most difficult passage and start dissecting it right now? (laughs) Do you go into theory quiz mode, asking them to identify the key and the rhythmic elements of the piece? Or do you let them stumble through the first several measures on their own, making their first impression of the piece akin to a painful sight-reading exam? Experiencing a piece comes in many forms. It could mean listening to the piece. It could be playing a particular passage of the work in a musically satisfying way. It can be considering the possibilities for the piece or forming an opinion on the work. It can be experimenting with the placement of ornaments or watching a related video on YouTube. It could be singing, moving, or kazooing to the melody. (laughs) It can be creating a storyline while you listen or writing lyrics to a problematic rhythmic section. I could go on and on, but the thing is... All of those options are better than offering up a checklist of corrections for success. And it's important to note that this does not only apply to the student's introductory lesson on a piece. There are times for corrections, of course, but there are always even more opportunities for exploration. Let your students know that you trust their ability to hone their musical senses. You are there to guide them, of course, but at the end of the day, 
We want to work ourselves out of a job. (laughs) We want to send musicians out into the world who think and feel their music, not those who approach their instruments with a list of do's and don'ts. And let me just say this. I am a rules girl. I love rules. (laughs) I love the rare times in life where I get a black and white checklist. (laughs) And I wish that there was a sequenced to-do list that I could follow to teach people how to express themselves totally unencumbered with music. (laughs) I really wish there was one. But alas, it's messier than that. And that's kind of the point. Meet your students where they are. Don't be the gatekeeper. Ask them for their opinion. Let them try things. Guide them to the best solution. It's a lot like the two-year-old who takes 15 minutes to put his shoes on. (laughs) Everything inside of you is screaming and you just want to put the shoes on his feet for him. But what's he going to learn from that? not how to put his shoes on, that's for sure. (laughs) Let your students try that awkward fingering and help them see that there is no way to accomplish a legato tone when they hop their fifth finger through three consecutive notes. (laughs) Or let them try to fling their thumb up onto that F sharp in the middle of the scale. (laughs) Let them experience why it doesn't work. And they will learn so much more than if you just preemptively wrote in finger numbers and expected them to follow your instructions or else. So that's the gist of today's episode. Create an experience-based lesson rather than a corrections-based lesson. It's really simple to say, but it is difficult to do. Don't let this concept overwhelm you if you feel like this is so beyond what you usually do. This, as far as I'm concerned, is one of those lifelong pursuits of teaching. We all have room to grow. Let's just commit to making baby-sized steps together this week, shall we? And because I have great faith in your ability to create the ultimate experience-based lesson, allow me to offer up a toast to you. Music teacher friends from all over the world, this is me raising my glass to you, taking note of the fact that we do not want our students to view us as the keepers of the corrections in their musical lives. (laughs) We have so much more to introduce them to. Today, we take a collective vow to help our students learn through more discovery, more experimentation, more questions, and less corrections. We want students to play, play their instruments, (laughs) not just present themselves as masters of technical checklists. The world needs more students and teachers who express their hearts through music. Please don't misunderstand me. I am all about making music to our highest possible standard. But it is becoming increasingly more difficult to find students who are intrinsically motivated to pursue that standard 
with intentions that are going to lead to a lifelong joy of making music. And I believe creating more musical experiences in the lesson is just the way to hook them. So, with that thought in mind, I say cheers to you and cheers to more experience and less correction. Hear, hear. Phew, okay, that is episode number 99, friends. <laughs> Next week, of course, is a special episode, so I am excited to share it with you. By the way, I am still taking voicemails for a few more days from anyone who wishes to leave me one. There is a link in the show notes, or you can email me at beyondmeasurepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll get you all set up. Please know, I will never turn down a chance to hear from you, so please make my day and send in some well wishes on 100 episodes, and tell me something you enjoy about the podcast. It's a super easy way to guarantee that you are going to make my day. I have challenged myself more over the past year to reach out to the people behind the podcasts that I love, and I am always, I mean always glad that I did. I'm a real person over here, and I have a genuine desire to hear from you and know how I can help you more on this journey we're on together. So whether that's leaving me a voicemail this week dropping me an email or a DM on social media, sending over a carrier pigeon, whatever it is, go ahead and go for it. We are friends after all. (laughs) That's it for now. Onward and upward, everyone, towards more experience-based lessons.